Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about strip till. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. When it comes to strip till, I'll, I'll give you the backstory. And if you've listened to our show often over the last few years, you've probably heard us say this before. But going back about, I'm going to say it was 25, 28 years ago, something like that, we had to switch to no-till on some acres to get more residue left out on the soil surface because we have some highly erodible land. And the NRCS was saying, all right, you got to have a certain percentage of residue out there. Otherwise, we're not happy and we could technically withhold some uh, some government payments and things like that. So anyway, we don't participate in the government farm program anymore, haven't for quite a few years, but back then we did. And so he said, all right, well, let's give it a shot. Now, our dad was originally from Iowa. And in north central Iowa, where he was from, everything at the time, and granted it was a long time ago when he farmed there because he moved to South Dakota in 1969. But anyway, what he was familiar with in Iowa was full-scale tillage. Now, some people like to call that recreational tillage, but the point is that ground was black. And he was very used to that. Soil warmed up well, had a nice seed bed. Everything was nice in that respect. Now, Sure, there's a lot of erosion and problems, you know, depleting soil organic matter and things like that. But nevertheless, that's what he was used to. So we made this change to no-till on about half our acres. And I mean, our dad, he was just losing his mind because he's like, I drive past these fields every day and I just can't stand how they look. They just don't look clean. They don't look nice. I want them to look nice. (laughs) And anyway, it was that first year, I just remember, and we had, we took a field and we split it. So one half of the field was no-till and the other half of the field was conventional till. And anyway, we went out there and we saw the erosion on the side where we had done the full-scale tillage. And it was right then where he goes, "Ah, all right, I guess the no-till is okay. Well, anyway, we did no-till then for about 10 years on roughly half the farm. But the problem is we had massive compaction issues down about four to six inches the no-till never solved our compaction problem. We also had troubles every single spring because the soil was really cold. And then the third problem we had was we had nutrient stratification where we had basically continued to farm like we did in conventional till, broadcasting fertilizer and such, and yet we weren't doing tillage anymore. We never made the change. And so those were the three issues we had. So then after about 10 years of that, we switched those acres to strip till and we solved all three of the problems because number one with strip till, like for us, we were using a shank and we were going down to 10 inches deep. So we had eliminated all compaction to 10 inches deep in the row. It was awesome. And we had roots going super deep immediately. It was great. The second thing is we absolutely warmed that soil up better. Now, Strip till is not going to be as warm as conventional till. That's just the way it is. But what we found is where we did strip till versus the no-till, seven degrees warmer in the strip. Seven on average in the spring. That's a big deal. 
So that was a big gain for us and we were getting better stands. And then the third thing is the nutrient placement. Instead of having all our fertility in the top inch or two, now we were putting a lot of fertilizer down eight or 10 inches deep. That was great. We were leading plants down more, spreading that fertilizer out more in the soil. And so we had overcome the three problems that we had in no-till. Now, as I say that, I'm not saying no-till's bad, you shouldn't do no-till, anything else. I'm simply saying we didn't make adjustments. We just continued farming like we were farming in conventional till, only farming no-till. If you're going to switch to no-till, you have to make major changes on your farm, not just stopping the tillage, but you've got to change how you're going to do fertilizer placement, what you're going to do to warm up that soil, and and moving things around with a planter. Uh, even the compaction. I, in a lot of cases, I suggest people do at least one time tillage before you get into the no-till to try to reduce your compaction, but you got to adjust many other things. Maybe it's tiling. I mean, adding more tile with no-till is super important, and it's important in strip-till too, so you can reduce the tillage. You don't need it to dry the soil out or anything. You've got tile out there. So I could go through a whole list. But anyway, my point is we switched over to strip till, have loved it ever since. We do that on roughly half the farm. And I don't care if it's corn on corn, beans on beans, corn into bean ground, beans into corn ground, corn into wheat ground, soybeans into wheat ground. I, I mean, the, the point is we've done it all and it's all been great. I love it. And it really seems to help us too in dry years because we've got fertility deep and yet we have left in between the rows no-till. So we feel like we're getting to some degree the best of both worlds. So it's not to the degree of no-till. It's not to the other side of conventional till. It's kind of in the middle and that's worked pretty well for us. So anyway, we're going to talk a little about strip till throughout the show today, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. Get one from Alejandro. He said uh, it sent in a question about cation exchange capacity and makes a lot of sense that you guys are talking about. I'm working mainly in Europe and in China. And in China, the main problem we're running into is the huge amount of fertilizer that's being used. And they are overusing nitrogen. This is something that's pretty interesting, Alejandro. So when you run into folks not figuring what organic matter is going to do in terms of mineralization and not really looking at what you're removing by crop and and yield level and then not looking at the variable amount of nitrogen that gets pulled out of each acre in the field as some acres yield more than others you're going to end up with trouble and if you overdo nitrogen what happens is as that nitrogen turns into nitric acid and leaches out of the soil it grabs onto a calcium molecule and pulls that along with it and now you're going to be in a need for lime and you're going to be lowering soil ph over time so yeah that is troublesome and not utilizing nutrients well that can create issues not just for crop production but also environmentally so hopefully that gets turned around and and you mentioned that that you're trying to implement neo kinsey's system good luck that that system works and uh, it should be should be fun once guys get going it should help them make more money too listening to ag phd radio today we're talking about strip till strategies for this fall on the show and taking your calls and questions at 844 44 ag phd are you combining around weed patches waiting for weeds to dry down or tired of spring burndown failures save time nutrients and moisture by including a valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program 
Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near-zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about strip-till strategies in the fall. And man, I'm excited. Brian talked a little bit about just the evolution of what we're doing in terms of tillage or no tillage or strip tillage on our farm over the years. And definitely we've been evolving as new technologies have been out there and we've found different ways to handle some of the the variability in the ground that we've got. Got our friend Chris Lurson on right now with Case IH. I know Chris probably just farms in the the nice flat square field, no variability area of the country, but gee Chris, we don't we don't have that kind of dream to farm in. Uh, I feel guilty, Darren. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it, I, I I appreciate you having me on. It, it, we're 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 here in northeast Iowa and yeah, we do have some square fields, but there's there's occasional variability there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm just teasing, of course. I mean, even yeah. even in uh, uh, parts of north central Iowa where my dad grew up, and there were a lot of square fields that are pretty flat. Oh, yeah. There is still a lot of variability out there. And I think we fool ourselves if we don't think there is. And you know, honestly, if guys say, "Oh no, I don't have much variability," they probably haven't tested very closely. I, I totally agree. I was in a field combining last night, and you know it, the, the yields from doing soybeans from twenty five to to sixty was most certainly related to to soil types and the variability. Okay, so let's just take that example. So, is that going to be a cornfield next year? Yes, it will be. In fact, 
Okay, so we got yeah. soybeans that yielded anywhere from 25 to 60 as you headed across the field. And, and I look at how much fertility is left in the soil. It's got to be tremendously different when you have soybeans yielding 100% different from one end of the farm to the other. So how do you handle that when you're in strip-till? Do you, do you recommend guys variable rate their strips, or do they also utilize broadcast fertility with that? I, I'm always curious about how are we going to get that fertility back because I want next year's crop to be my best. You bet. And again, this is a bit of a personal thing and, and everybody does it a little bit differently. And, you know, you pull case IH out of this on our, on our personal farm. What we do, our strip till machine that we use, because we do strip till is, is not always set for variability, you know, between two different products. It's just how it works for us. And what we end up doing is sampling. We'll sample that field this fall, you know, two and a half acre grids uh, or something like that size, I believe. And, you know, we'll actually spread PK and uh, I guess if it needs any lime um, on a um, on that prescription or grid to to build those areas that need it uh, if the potential is there. And, um, you know, leave a little bit left on top and then we'll come back and, you know, put in the strip another, you know, 50 to 100 pounds each of P and K maybe. So we were pounding quite a bit down, but that's that's kind of way we've handled it, at least on our farm. <laughs> yeah, everybody, you're right, though. It is a personal choice. What are we going to do on our farm? And it might be different than the guy across the road. And both ways might be right. And that's one thing I know for, for Brian and me. We both want to make decisions. We both want to uh, improve things on the farm. And we've got different ideas. And uh, we're trying some different ideas already this fall post-harvest about how we're going to handle things. So no no surprise there. Uh, Brian and I might think a little bit differently on a few things. And <laughs> so we get to try those things out on the farm, which is cool. Um, okay, talk to us. You work a lot with tillage with case. And I know today we wanted to focus on some of the strip till strategies in the fall. I like fall strip till because we can use a shank and we just haven't been able to get away with that with our clay subsoils in the spring. What are some of the things that you uh, talk to farmers about in terms of strategies that work for the fall? Well, I think you're exactly right for that fall application. You know, that that's, that's the best policy. And, and I think sometimes I think um, the, the, the question is, well, your depths, does it remove compaction? Um, you know, for, for most machines, you know, you're going to be at that six to eight inch level, I suppose. Um, and that's probably going to be right on top of the compaction layer for, for most. So it, it isn't probably going to get to that level. And if it is, it's probably going to be a bit damaging to shank uh, points and tips just because you end up running right into that layer potentially. And um, so I think that's, that's one of the questions that I get. It's, you're still probably looking at another pass of some sort if you're going to do compaction layer removal um, with with the machine, you know. And and obviously in the fall we are um, using a, a bit different style of a berm um, a conditioner uh, for for mounding up the berm just a little bit so it can settle out. That's that's kind of the important part that we get the soil back into the place where it needs to be and can settle out flat for that next pass next spring. Yeah, there there are just so many jobs that we're trying to do, and I, I know I was just talking to somebody, and they listed off about five jobs that they had to get done this fall after harvest, and they said, yep, but I'm going to do all of those with my strip-till pass. Man, it's got to be ideal if you're going to get everything to work out perfect and not have to make any other passes out there. You're, you're so right. It's There's a lot going on there, and you know I think residue managers for sure, at least for, for the units that, that we offer in the, in the neutral tiller is – it's going to be pretty critical this fall because I, I 
I kind of get the feeling uh, just from our area and just talking to the people. We have some, we actually have okay yields out there, uh, contrary to what we probably thought just uh, maybe two months ago before at least the rain kind of kicked in for at least our area. Um, and, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of residue to handle this fall. Yeah, yeah, there sure is. And uh, Brian and I just got in this discussion today about, man, if we've got tons of, of residue out there and then we look at a lot of fields here in this region that had issues with wind and uh, rootworms and my goodness, we got stocks laying every which way in some of these fields. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be hard for that strip toe machine to, to do the greatest job on that in, in a single pass. It, 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 it will be. Uh, I'm going to have to exercise some patience, I think, this fall, just like you mentioned. Uh, some, some of the down crop that I've seen, some places, the wind, uh, uh, you know, events we've had, um, a lot of tar spot that I've heard a lot about, uh, you know, causing damage, you know, just, just aging the plant really, really quickly and wind comes through and really hurts it. So I, I think that's going to take some extra patience and, you know, maybe some extra time even if we're just going to use one single pass. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, how about the areas that are really, really dry? And I've talked to a number of farmers that are just a little concerned about, man, I am so bone dry out there. Do I need to change things up or, or should I wait for spring to see what's going to happen? How, how do you work with those areas? Well, again, all personal preference. I think the the key there is a uh, you know really conserving as much moisture as you can because you just don't know what you're going to get tomorrow. Um, and may, maybe that spring pass is is in, and just kind of holding your cards close to your chest. If if I'm kind of looking at that, might be the best policy um, for, from what I, what I could suggest because um, you just don't know what you're going to get tomorrow and and uh, see, see what we get for next spring and adjust the plan. Uh, that's the one thing that I've learned, and maybe you have too, with strip-till, is, is it's, it's not always perfect. The, the other tools in your toolbox, from, from vertical tillage to maybe even no-till to uh, other practices, may have to come into play to either fix issues or, or really kind of save you at the last minute, especially for those conditions, I think. Uh, it's, it's not an end-all, be-all, is what I have found. Uh, for, for, for all cases, there's still a save tool that you need and the right tool in the toolbox. Yeah, we saw some growers struggling this year with really digging in too much with their strip till and then just creating this big berm on the outside. Yeah. So so basically making a trench uh, with the strip till machine. Yeah. What do you see with that? Is that just a, a simple, man, you got to get out and, and make some adjustments as you're going? Boy, I think that's that's key is, is making sure that paying attention to what's happening uh, and, and really getting that berm created cr uh, correctly. And that's collecting all that soil back up in the catcher's mitts and, and getting them back, back over top of, of that, uh, that furrow so it can settle out flat. So you're right. Yeah, it's always it's always a challenge. There's it's never easy with farming, but uh, it really does pay. And there's always a difference. My dad would always say that too. He goes, guys, if you pay attention to the details, there will always be a difference in in your fields versus just the average person out there that's in a rush or that has a lot of acres to get over or just isn't very fussy about stuff. Because being fussy a lot of times can make a big difference, especially with an important application or I'm sorry, an important pass through your field yeah. with a strip till machine. We're talking with Chris Larson here with Case IH. And, Chris, we could talk all day. We really appreciate having you on. And uh, just want to say stay safe and, and have a great harvest, too. Yeah, everybody out there, have, have a safe harvest. Thanks so much, Darren. You bet. 
talking about strip-till fall strategies. And on our farm, that's something I, I love it when we're running ahead of schedule out in the field because I know we're going to try and get as much strip-tilling done as we possibly can. We'll talk about that and talk about some considerations that, that you should have this fall coming up right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about strip-till strategies for the fall. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Nebraska. I've got Ty Fickenshire with us. He works with Luma down there. Uh, does a lot of strip-till work. And so when we're, we're talking about strip-till, we love, love chatting with Ty. How are you doing, Ty? I'm great. How are you, Darren? 
you know what? We're doing pretty good. Harvest is rolling along here, and pretty soon the pressure is going to be on that strip-till machine putting some P and K out there for next year's crop. Yeah, yeah, we're the same boat here. we got a lot of guys starting to get into some corn and, and pulling some pretty good yields, and it'll be here and gone before we know it for sure. Outstanding. Okay, i got a lot of questions for you. Did you have anything you wanted to share today? I don't want to, don't want to miss out on any big tips that you've got for us. Well, I just, when you're talking, visiting with Chris there about the you know the dry conditions we have here this fall again, and I was just thinking back, you know, last fall we had some pretty abnormally dry conditions there, and it seemed like that if we we're able to get in the fall and get that strip done, you know, down and and uh, get some new or fer- fertility out there, um, the planting conditions in the spring were were that much better. But uh, again, I mean, it's kind of case by case. You know, we were fortunate to get rains in April to kind of help mellow that out a little bit too, but. Uh, I think if the, the conditions are dry, it's it's probably a good time to see about getting something done in the fall anyhow. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, when it comes to that fertility, liquid versus dry, I'm sure you get this question too. A lot of guys will say, well, this year the liquid's cheaper. Last year the dry was cheaper. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Will both work? And and what's your experience been in Nebraska? Well, we're, we're exclusively dry with the machines that we run. Um, and mainly from a cost standpoint, for us, you know, most – most years, uh, the dry is going to be cheaper per pound of nutrient than liquid, um, except for looking at nitrogen. But if you're looking at phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, that, those forms, uh, we tend to save a little bit of money going the route of dry. The, the offset or the other side of that is the equipment tends to be more expensive as well. You, know, you have to have conveyors and the metering system and the tanks and everything like that. So there's kind of a trade-off. And if there's enough acres justified, you know, we, we kind of look at the dry for that reason. All right, how about nitrogen? And I realize it's early. Here we are in the first week of October. So please, if anyone's listening today and saying, oh, no, Darren's suggesting we get out with nitrogen now and it's 70 and 80 degrees out there. No, 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 I'm not. But you're definitely going to get those questions as as it gets later, gets a little cooler. Guys will say, what do you think about anhydrous? What do you think about different forms of nitrogen? Is that something that you do in your area or is it something you always avoid? We we do have a handful of guys that put in hydrous down in the fall. Um, in this in our part of the world, we have to wait till November first to allow that soil temperature to get down cool enough um, to to keep that nitrogen stable in the soil. Um, so we do some in the in the fall. You know, by by and large, a, a large amount of it is done is done in the spring. Um, but yeah, mostly mostly with anhydrous, uh, we don't see too much, if any. Uh, UAN or urea put down in the fall. We might see some urea put down through the winter months, uh, but again, it's more of a supplement to the total program for sure. Yeah, you mentioned uh, what was going on out there with some of the dry conditions. What about for the guys that are in wetter conditions? And I know you went through 2018, 2019, and you had some pretty wet falls. Uh, Did you learn some lessons there too? Yeah, the hard way, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah, good. It we, wasn't uh, just us. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. No, and that's the thing. In the fall of 18, we were able to get away with using the shank, and we got, obviously, really wet conditions through that winter, and it, and it really can recondition that soil after the strip was put down. But into the spring of 19, we had to, the only thing we could use was coulters. Um, we had some neighbors that they would run out with the shank, and uh, especially with putting the hydrous down and you'd know, have a slot that was seven inches deep and, and putting the seed out there and it, it didn't turn out very well. Um, so we really switched over to just running coulters and, and that really helps. I mean, you don't get that slice quite as bad as you would with a shank and it, and it really kind of conditions that soil, mellows it out quite a bit to be able to plant into. 
Yeah, there's a, that's the good thing about farming is there's always somebody that's done it longer than you. And you can always turn to these folks who have the experience and say, okay, uh, it's been dry lately, but what about back in these days? What about back in these conditions? What'd you learn? And man, there's so much knowledge out there that we just need to talk to each other and share. And it's one of the reasons that we love having Ty Fickenshire on with Luma down in Nebraska. Ty, thank you so much. Really appreciate the advice today. Good luck to you this fall. All right. Thank you, Darren. Okay, now here's another thing. We're going to talk strip till today, and a lot of our listeners like to share information with us, and they said, I know you guys are South Dakota State University guys, but man, there's a guy up at North Dakota State that has a great publication about strip till, and you probably wouldn't bring him on, would you? And I said, oh, really? Just just dare us here. We'll, we'll definitely talk to the folks up in North Dakota, too. Got John Nowatsky on with us right now with North Dakota State University. John, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, thanks for talking to us jackrabbits down here, too. We we love comparing notes with you and also love the publication that you're doing. Talk to us a little bit about the information that you're putting out on Strip Till. Yeah, well, certainly, if anybody's interested in the publication we have, um, just um, Google NDSU and Strip Till. Uh, extension publications probably would help, and you'll get it. It's called Strip Till for Field Crop Production, and... Uh, it's something that uh, we put together, the uh, three of us, uh, myself uh, in the Ag and Biosystems Engineering Department, and then Greg Andrews from the one of our research stations at Carrington, and then Jody Dion Hughes from Regional uh, Extension Service at University of Minnesota. So there's three of us, and they have done a lot of research on uh, using script hill. So I think there's a lot of valuable information in here, and uh, it kind of talks not only about uh, some of the equipment you need, but also uh, about some of the uh, how to use it for different crops and then some of the economics involved as well. Yeah, there, there are just so many questions here. One of them that I get from growers uh, further north than us, whether, whether it be in Montana or northern Minnesota or up into Canada, they say, I'm wondering about soil warm-up. We've been doing conventional till because we want that soil to warm up. What can you accomplish with strip till? Can you get it warm enough in those strips? Or are you happy with that? Yeah, and we did some research on that, and um, we did it in eastern North Dakota, central North Dakota, and western North Dakota. And in all cases, the uh, strip till was uh, about five degrees warmer in the spring, and it warmed up sooner, you know, like 10 days earlier. So that's a, a real advantage of using strip till is you get that soil warmer faster. So you can, for example, get your grain in faster, certainly your corn in sooner. Um I think there's, you know, there's obviously some disadvantages, but there's some advantages. And, and I'll talk a little bit about the disadvantages first. Um, you know, when, when we first started working on this in uh, about 20 years ago, we were in the middle of a wet cycle. And it was, it really didn't catch on. I mean, there was a lot of equipment dealers selling strip till equipment, and it didn't end up getting used very much because it was too wet in the fall to do it. And then in the spring of the year, was just kind of a waste of time. They wanted to get out there and plant sooner. So if it's really wet, that's a, that's a disadvantage. But some advantages, and, and one I want to put in first in case I miss it, and that is we've done a lot of tiles drainage here in, in North Dakota and in Minnesota and South Dakota along the Red River Valley. And those fields, uh, now that they're, they're tiled, you could really adapt to strip till when you'd have the advantage of, uh, of uh, you know, less tillage and, and uh, less cost then. 
and less uh, erosion. And because the farmers are concerned here in the valley uh, about not getting in the spring because, you know, they want to till in the fall to get some, uh, you know, get it dried out a little bit faster in the spring and they want to till in the spring. So this is one advantage. So I just wanted to point that out that it really fits well now with tile drainage. You know, but, the, um, the, the other thing, thing that... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, you know, the other thing that's new now, they're not new, but relatively new, is there's less carbon uh, released in, into the atmosphere. So there's some potential here to go into this, you know, carbon credits that's kind of catching on now. Yeah, that is a big deal. And the, the one last question I had, we got about 30 more seconds, is just different crops. So a lot of guys think about strip-till and corn, uh, but it's but it works for a lot of different crops, and that certainly fits North Dakota well. Well, it works well for all the row crops. So any of the row crops, it, it really works well. And I guess, you know, theoretically could use it for the other crops too. But so corn and soybeans, for sure, uh, sunflowers, uh, you know, it's, it would be interesting uh, if, it, you know, what would happen with uh, with even with sugar beets. But I, I don't know of anybody doing that. But yeah. like I say, it has, a, it has lots of advantages. And I encourage people to take a look at this publication. Yeah, thanks a lot. John Nowatsky here with North Dakota State University. Again, you can just Google search for North Dakota State and strip till. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. 
Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today we're talking about strip-till strategies for the fall, but we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Oh, man, we got another great guest for you. we got Kevin Kimberly. He operates out of Iowa, covers multiple states around the region, helps guys out to uh, to get the most out of their farming practices. And one of them that I know you get talking about is strip-till. Kevin, how are you doing today? Well, we've been uh, working with strip-till today, in fact. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay, so yeah. we just had John Nowatsky on from North Dakota State, and he's a big strip-till fan, but he said, you know what? There's always pros, there's always cons, and there's a lot of things you can do right or wrong here. So what are some of the common things you're seeing as you head into this fall with strip-till and, and some advice that, that you wouldn't mind sharing? Well, I one of the things this year, I'm going to be in Buffalo, North Dakota tomorrow, west of Bismarck, and... Um, or west of Fargo, excuse me, but we've seen the dry country that dried and then got some moisture. The ground is flowing the best it's flowed for years, where they've got moisture after the ground was cracked and dried. And um, we're seeing things working very well on a whole this year. I was in some tougher places um, the last two days, and we changed coulters out to make the ground, um, to fracture the ground to make finer aggregation for the knife to boil it instead of making a slice. And uh, there's just things you can change and don't be afraid to change. I'm a big strip till advocate. I've got 80% of my clients on strip till. You know, wow, wow, yeah, that's that's saying something because I know how fussy you are about how that seed bed is going to be. So you must have figured some things out in the fall that that are good triggers for you to know if you're going to have a good seed bed. What are some of the things we should be looking for? You know, the first thing I do and is I take a spade and I push down behind where my strips at, straight down. And then I take another spade and dig that out so the spade falls away. And one of the things, I don't want a hole at the bottom. And if your roots hit that hole next spring, that plant will shut down for a while. And it actually will hurt your yield potential. And so we were in a wetter field. You know, we travel eight states, so we see everything. They had a big mole knife on it. And all I did was take the plasma cutter and trim off the side, still had a mole in the front. It all flowed together beautiful. But one of my things is just don't be afraid to, um, tilting the machine back this year helps quite a bit, by the way, if you're running an aggressive knife. Uh, makes the knife a little flatter on um, your coons and all those other ones that are out there. 
you flatten off the toe and it doesn't push the moisture up to make a hole. Okay. Yeah, that's an easy that's an easy fix. And, you know, here's one of those things of just taking a little bit of time. And I also look at, you'd mentioned just how you can't be afraid to make changes. I know as we head from one field to the next, we've got wildly different soils. And I know we've got to stop and make some adjustments when the ground gets significantly heavier or significantly lighter. Absolutely. I spend a lot of time in your country is, you know, in your hundred mile radius in there in fact and and last year we saw some machines that just blew chunks and guys were driving too fast speed can affect this thing also so if you're on the drier side speed is real um don't be afraid to slow down to four and a half mile an hour or five just remember everything you're doing today is a marriage to your planner next year and that's what i teach with tillage and strip till uh I was in some fields last fall around Mitchell. The chunks were so big and the yield got hurt on those farms this year. I've already known what the yields are. And so make sure and take your time. And uh, like you said, don't be afraid to go dig and set. We're all busy today and and because um, it's going to be your whole year's income. And we have no idea what kind of weather we're going to have. We That's can't exactly right. guess the good Lord, you know. So I like to be prepared for dry or wet. I want all this soil together. I was west of Bismarck last year, and we did some there. And um, it was actually dry, very dry all the way down. Everybody says you're going to dry out the ground. You can't dry out dry ground, but you can make it absorb water. Those strips were all wet this spring, and we had no rain at all to speak of. And so you make that strip absorb water too, helps you out for a drier year. Yeah. Yeah. Some of this ground has just, just been so that, hard. These are things to think about because, um, you can overthink things too. And, um, in that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You definitely can overthink things. And I know sometimes uh, it pays just to get out there and do a little bit and then just, just check and see what you're doing. And like you say, don't be afraid to slow down if uh, going fast is making a mess. We're talking with Kevin Kimberly here with Kimberly Ag Consulting. We get questions every time Kevin's on. How do I get a hold of Kevin? Just go to their website, KimberlyAgConsulting.com, uh, and you can check out what they're doing. Uh, okay, so you mentioned across the eight states that you're covering, and uh, I'm sure conditions vary what are you seeing for yields are you hearing good numbers out there we there are yields from 140 160 190 uh southern illinois the quincy area south they had about a week every week in august an inch inch and a half of rain their yields are phenomenal 250 280 um but i think overall fort dodge areas around 220 I think 200, 190 is going to catch a lot of corn. You know, all of us have bad spots in these fields. We have a gravel spot, a, a wet spot that's not drained or that. And our yield monitors can make us feel pretty good. But if a guy can come up around that 190 or 200 on an average this year, he's going to be fortunate. And some people, like around Fenton, Iowa, there's a radius in there. It's 99 to 120. And... Kind of, uh, I drove through South Dakota in August. I went up, uh, is it 281 and then uh, 
I came out, I came down through uh, Groton down through. You could just see where people caught rain and didn't catch rain. Dark yes. green, beautiful fields, and then just burn up in a few miles. And on these dry years, I call them popcorn rains. They just pop up wherever, and some people are blessed and some aren't. So you think you may have one farm, you go in that field, and you're really good, and the next one you farm 20 miles away can be totally different. You know, and that variability, too, brings up the question on soil sampling. Where do you pull samples when you're doing strip-till? We've been randomizing ours. Are you advising guys to stay in the strip, stay out of the strip, or just kind of do some of both? I'm I'm kind of – I just stay out of the – I like to split the strip every year. I'm 15 and 15, and um, I'm, I'm not always on the strip, no. And you're uh, – you know, so I like to check the spot that hasn't had fertilizer for a year out in the middle. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I think you can kid yourself in your strip. Um, you can get false readings. And I think it's very careful to, I know fertilizer prices are high. And again, I want to just say, you don't know what mother nature is going to bring you next year. Uh, I just want to say this real quick. In 2012, you know, I do seminars for all my clients. They come in to Iowa from all over the United States. And everybody was talking about, what are we going to do next year in a drought? What are we going to do next year in a drought? And I finally said, did you see this one coming? you got to be prepared whether it's wet or dry. That's what we try to do. But you don't know what next spring is going to bring because that was the wettest spring we had for quite a few years after 12. Yeah. across the midwest yes it was and uh, that's what i'm saying don't try to outguess yourself uh we, we still i'm you know i'm still farming every day just at different people's places and <laughs> yep. i'm telling i'm just telling everybody i work with don't plant for a failure it'll kill you yeah, and I, I just had this conversation this morning, too. What kind of year are we going to have next year? And I said, you know what? It'll be different than this one. I know that for sure. That's about the only guarantee we got. Uh, we're talking to Kevin Kimberly with Kimberly Ag Consulting again. Just check out their website, Kimberly Ag Consulting. Uh, Kevin does a fantastic job for his customers. Thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate it. You guys have a great day. It's a beautiful fall day today. Absolutely. we got to enjoy it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. 
Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about strip-till all throughout the show, and of course uh, we've got a strip-till question that's come into the Ag PhD mailbag. Uh, got uh, a couple things that we've been talking about on our farm. One of them has been all the silage that we've been cutting, so uh, I'll dive into that question. You ready to go, Brent? Go ahead. Alright, so this one comes from Kurt, and he said, I know you guys have been talking about you cut a lot of silage, so I've got several questions for you on how you're going to handle that ground. Just wondering what your rotation is going to be, what your tillage plan is going to be, and uh, also what about uh, erosion type issues, that kind of thing, and then fertilizer replacement. Okay, well, that's a lot of stuff. So it's several different things. So we had silage taken from about 1,500 acres of our ground this year, corn silage. And some will get manure on it. Some we did a cover crop and it will not get manure. Um, some we are just leaving. So it's not getting manure. We didn't do cover crop. Nothing will be spreading. We've already done a little bit of spraying out there for fall herbicide spraying. And we will be doing some fall fertility work here just shortly too. Probably starting next week. We're going to finish up our harvest this week. So next week, it's moving on to the next phase, which is getting everything fertilized and ready to go for next year. Some will go to corn. Some will go to beans. Some's going to be strip till. Some's going to be conventional till. So literally, we're doing almost everything. Almost anything can be successful. It's just you you have to manage it a little bit carefully and, and in some cases differently, depending on what the soil is like, if it's highly erodible land or not, what your fertility level already is. So we got a lot of factors there. So I don't know if there's a specific question and where you're going with this exactly, but I would just say we've done it all before. It all can work. Our preference, obviously, our preference, obviously, is 
to have it uh, be soybeans after that. But we have so many people that want silage from us, and we, we like corn. We do a good job raising corn that we absolutely will do corn on corn in some cases. You know, when we put manure back to replace that fertility, the question that comes in a lot, too, on that is, can you get enough manure to replace fertility, or are you going to have to supplement here and there to fill in the gaps? How, how do you address that one, Brian? I know we're going to put a, a bunch of manure out there, and when you look at everything that you're moving with the stalks, with the grain, everything else, can you replace it all? Oh, did I just lose Brian? Well, then I'll answer that question myself. Uh, can you replace it all? Yeah, you can. You sure can. Uh, you do have to test that manure and see exactly what the content is. You may have to vary your rates a little bit field to field as well. One of the things we're a little concerned about when you use manure as the replacement source is just looking at what you got for anything negative in there. And the main thing is salt. So you just want to watch what your salt load is that you don't overdo that as you're putting manure out there. And, you know, as, as you're going through, you're going to have to look at, well, what are your limits? Is it, do I have enough nitrogen on already and I'm going to way overdo it if I push the rates of the manure trying to get all the phosphorus or all the potassium that I'm trying to get. So you just want to make sure you don't overdo it on anything. And if you're going to overdo it, then you've got to switch things up a little bit and use a little commercial fertilizer too. All right. Uh, another fertilizer question for you then. This one is for soybeans. This one comes in from Patrick. Uh, he said, I get a question. My soils are in the range of an 8 to a 14 CEC. And I was thinking about putting on 150 pounds of potash and 100 pounds of MAP this fall, till it in with a high-speed disc, and then in the spring put another 150 pounds of potash on that's going to be coated with boron. My P and K levels are in the mid-range. They aren't super great, but they're also not bad. Uh any thoughts that you've got on this? I plan to plant directly into this in the spring without doing spring tillage. So the way I read this, putting on MAP and potash in the fall, tilling it in, but then adding some more potash on in the spring with boron and not tilling that in. What do you think of that strategy? Well, I don't understand why we wouldn't just put all the K on this fall, but whatever. I mean, it's fine. It's maybe, maybe because that's how he's maybe isn't going to be real available. Hey, maybe that's how he's getting his boron on, and he's worried about putting the boron on in the fall. What do you think about boron in the fall with an eight to a fourteen CEC? Kind of well, depends on is, rainfall. Where is he from? That's a good where question. Uh, it doesn't say oh, on okay. the email here. Yeah. Okay. So here, I wouldn't worry about that at all because the ground is frozen. So it, it you, you can apply it in the fall or the spring. It's basically the same exact thing. You're not going to lose any when the ground's frozen. So if, let's say, the person was in Texas and the ground is not frozen at all and there's a whole bunch of rainfall over the course of the winter, well, then, sure, that's a, that's a smart move for waiting with your boron. And even for the potassium in that kind of situation, if you're in an area that has lots of rainfall and doesn't freeze, then it makes some sense to do that and split your K up, too. So, so this is a question where it all depends on where the person is from, their rainfall, and then you go from there. All right. He's in Ontario, Canada. Ah, <laughs> yeah. So if it's me, then I would, I, I would just go ahead and do it all this fall, but whatever. 
I mean, you can certainly do some in the spring. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get some rain likely, but the other thing is you're gonna freeze, and so that's why we feel pretty confident doing fall applications with a lot of things in our farm too. We now we've got heavier soil than that, and and likely higher organic matter levels too. So that that certainly helps and buys us a cushion as well. All right, thanks for the question, Patrick. I really appreciate that. Got this one from somebody who goes by the name of Milkweed. Now, I'm surprised this got past Janelle. Uh, I know Janelle screens things here, and she's not a big fan of Milkweed, so uh, you're lucky you got this question through. The question is this. Uh, watch, your, watch, your, watch your guys' video on lift stations, but I'm wondering, are there lift stations for basements? Because a basic sump pump sometimes just doesn't work well enough. Well, that's really what a lift station is, is it's a sump pump, just on a much bigger scale. So if you're having issues with the sump pump in your basement, put in another one, put in another spot, uh, have a bigger one, have a battery backup. I mean, you have lots of options there to make it more reliable if you would like to. But yeah, that's really all a lift station out in the field is. It's just a great big sump pump for your field. Yeah, it's the same thing out in fields. If the sump pump or the lift station is not getting enough water moved out, you just might have to upgrade. And that's something that surprises people, Brian. When you're draining, let's just say you have a quarter inch uh, drainage coefficient, you're taking a quarter inch of rain off of a field. Well, that's a lot of water. That's six or 7,000 gallons per acre. And if you've got 100 acres, now all of a sudden you're talking six or 700,000 gallons that have to leave that day. So you're going to need a pretty good pump. And, and I get it. The sump pump most of the time in your house probably isn't running. But when you need it, you really need it to work. So make sure, yeah, like, like what Brian is saying, either get a bigger pump or get a second one. That would be, that'd be our recommendation. Or battery. Don't, and the battery backup thing is a really big deal. When most people's basements flood, it's when the power goes off. Just get a battery backup. Get a generator. Get something so you have an alternative means to power that system. And, yeah, you have to have it sized appropriately, just like we have to, like Darren was saying, we have to have that pump sized appropriately for our field. You have to have your sump pump sized appropriately for your house. And a lot of people are trying to get by cheap. So I'm just saying, if it was me, I might have two. Or I, I might have a really big one or something. So it can handle the capacity on the one day of the year when you truly need it and you don't want your basement flooded. Hey, Brian, had one more question on the strip till. Uh, and the question was from Tom. He just said, hey, you guys always talk about P and K with your strip till. Can you talk a little bit about micronutrients? Is this a good spot? Or do you like to broadcast micronutrients on your farm? We like to broadcast a lot of micronutrients, but we have done some micros deep. I like that just to push micros deep because when you test, if you were to test in the 6 to 12 inch zone on your farm, I'm guessing you don't have many micronutrients down there, yet we all know that micronutrients are important for every single plant in the world. So if you put some down there, that's a great idea. But that doesn't mean you should neglect the top 6 inches of soil, especially with some of the leachable nutrients. So let's say it's boron, for example. Well, boron moves pretty well in the soil. so. Putting it on the soil surface is not a bad idea since it will continue to move down with rainfall. Zinc and copper, on the other hand, they don't move very well, so that's why it's kind of nice to get them in the root zone somewhere. It doesn't have to be super deep, but get them down in the root zone somewhere in some cases, either broadcast and till it in or strip till or whatever. Yeah, we saw the difference this year in the dry areas. Boy, having those micronutrients in available quantities for the plants 
was really nice because plants are sucking in nutrients with water and if they can't find what they need, and it could be like Brian was saying, maybe it's zinc or one of these micros, that plant just keeps pulling in water, keeps pulling in water, trying to get the food that it needs. And in essence, it becomes a water waster, which obviously in a year that's dry is not a good thing. Well, thanks for all the questions today. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.